Wherever you've joined us from today, we're so glad to have you with us. We are a church based in North Brisbane, but at this point in time, we have people joining us from beyond that and we welcome you from wherever you come from. Uh, do be sure to leave us a content on our social media pages. Uh, do drop by our website and get connected here at Access. We have a number of ways whereby you can be connected. Our weekly e-news is one way that you can link into what's happening in church life. And we have some uh, active social media pages that you can link in with and uh, really keep abreast of what's going on here in our church. We just love that our community is growing at this time and we continue to be a church wherever we meet in Jesus' name. As we enter the message today, I'm, I uh, remind you that the Version app is available. And if you go into that app on your particular device, search Events Access Church North Lakes, you're going to find the message notes each week in there. I'm going to go old school on you right now, though, and recommend that you also pick up one of these and have it open as we uh, study God's Word together. Things are so much better when you have an open Bible in your hands as you hear a message. And it's really uh, a good responsibility to check always what's being said by any preacher and uh, just because I say it shouldn't be enough you need to do your own homework and follow along so I very much encourage you to do that today we're going to be in John 6 we continue the I am series these statements made by Jesus that self-identify who he is and we haven't been approaching these chronologically uh, because of our Easter themes that we touched on first up I say that not because the chronological order matters, although today we're going to return to the very first one that Jesus mouthed in John 6. And he said this, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Anyone who eats this bread that I offer will never hunger again. I wonder what your favourite type of bread is. Wholemeal, white, multigrain, rye, sourdough. There's lots to choose from, aren't there? And they're all pretty good. Which is it for you that is a favourite? I have an older brother who managed a bakery for a period of time. He's a baker by trade. And one particular night, back when I was a youth, he invited me to come and do the night bake with him. So all night long, I assisted him in baking this bread. Well, let me tell you, the excitement wore off pretty quickly. Those hours from 3am to 5am uh, pretty brutal. They don't call them the graveyard shift for no reason. They are horrendous hours to get through and my enthusiasm levels took a dive as we travelled through that time. Apart from the hours that bakers work, what also stood out to me in that process is how involved bread making is. It doesn't just spit out of the oven <laughs> automatically. There's a fair bit of manual labour that goes on. And like many things, we don't realise the steps that lay underneath a process until we're involved ourselves. But I think the highlight for me of that particular evening was the smell of fresh bread wafting from the oven right as it was uh, at that point of being baked. It's just delicious. Can you, can you imagine with me just that, ah, that smell of the fresh loaf of bread coming from the oven, freshly baked bread, I should say, and just smearing butter across it and seeing that melt. I mean, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to look forward to. Is that what Jesus means here in John 6, where he says, I'm the bread of life? Is he saying that I'm as appealing as a freshly baked loaf of bread that you just can't wait to crack out the butter and smear all over? Well, I don't think so. 
I mean, that statement no longer really applies to 30% of the population that have a gluten-free diet that don't even particularly eat bread as part of their regular diet. To be relevant today, Jesus might have to say, I'm the broccoli of life to be able to appeal, the, appeal to the entire population. But what we're going to see here in John 6 is Jesus' statement actually has little to do with food. It's not flour and water. That is the point of his I am claim here. It's being full of him, being completed by him, being satisfied in him is what it's on about. John chapter 6, and we're going to pick up from verse 26. Now, please note in this chapter, Jesus just fed 5,000 men with bread. To demonstrate the point is not food here. We're going to see him actually fairly frustrated that the crowd are still hanging about looking for food when he wants them to delve so much deeper than their physical needs. So let's read John 6, verse 26 together this morning. I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word today. You may have noticed that John 6 presents a rather frustrated version of Jesus. I'm not sure if you picked up the tone in the reading. However, each time Jesus answers the crowd here. The heat just seems to intensify. He's really frustrated that of their approach and what they're trying to get out of him. And what is the problem here? Is Jesus just got up on the wrong side of the bed? Is that the problem? I mean, there's no more Mr. Nice Guy here in John 6. If we're writing a Mr. Men series about John 6 and this is the only material we had to draw from about Jesus, we might have to call him Mr. Grumpy because three times in his response to the crowd, he really, really risks losing his growing popularity that verse 15 tells us about because he's politically incorrect in his responses and short and sharp and not at all kind, it seems. Well, it just so turns out Jesus doesn't value popularity or crowds or likes. And yes, we'd be right to think he's a little ticked off because he is. He absolutely is. He recognises the masses here are coming to him, not for him. It's not Jesus they're wanting. It's what they can get out of him. And if we're aiming to upset Jesus, this passage of scripture can help. It can help a lot. We see here how he is so 
annoyed and frustrated and hurt by their approach. So what do we learn? We cannot relate to Jesus through signs. Verse 26 shows us this. The first thing that upsets Jesus is their interpretation of the sign that he did yesterday. He performed a sign yesterday, yes, and it was an amazing miracle. Perhaps his most well-known miracle, actually, where he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. We might be talking about a crowd of fifteen or 20,000, some scholars would say, but 5,000 men at least with his five rolls. I mean, it's incredible. Five bread rolls and two fish, a crowd of fifteen or 20,000. It was a sign and a half, a remarkable miracle to feed so many people with so little product. The result, the crowd is ready to see more. They're just warming up. They're like, woohoo, let's get this party started. All right, Jesus, now that we've seen that, we want to see more. And so they drum up a circus. Problem is the performers gone missing. They can't find Jesus. They can't find him for the day after the sign. They're looking hard, but he goes missing. Performing the sign yesterday was okay because it was his idea but he's not going to enter their circus. That was about his agenda. The problem was they missed the point. They missed the sign. Some of you will know at the beginning of the year, I moved to Queensland to take up the position here at Axis Church. And I made the long journey from Victoria to take up that role. Now, along the way, we passed many signs, signs that, we're locating Brisbane for us, our destination. And at first, it's a long, long, long way away. And as you travel more, you get closer and closer and closer. And you're looking out when you're on a journey for those signs because you want to know how far you are from the, de from the destination. You know, when I stopped looking for signs, when I saw a sign that said, Welcome to Brisbane. Once I passed that sign, welcoming me to the city, I didn't need to look anymore for signposts. I had arrived. It's ridiculous to be go, become so engrossed in signs leading to Brisbane that I just passed all the way through Brisbane because I actually just fell so in love with the sign. I mean, that would be, a, that would be ridiculous. The point is not the sign. The point is the city. Once I'd arrived, the signs were no longer helpful. Can you spot why Jesus is upset here about him being so sign-centric? Jesus wasn't against signs. In fact, John's gospel tells us a lot about signs performed by Jesus, more than any other gospel. But the point is, they missed the point. The king of kings had arrived. He was in town. They weren't supposed to be any more consumed with signs. He was right there. They ought to be celebrating him. But instead... They grew an appetite for the signs and missed the substance of the Messiah standing right there. They're like, give us another party trick, Jesus. And he's like, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. They're like, the meal yesterday, oh, those bread and fish, that oh, was wonderful, wonderful. But... But this morning, we're thinking about something different. How about you, you, you put steak on the menu today? How's that sound, Jesus? I mean, yesterday was impressive. We liked it. It filled a, filled a need. But today, how about something different? Show us another trick. 
Let's get this party started. They were treating Jesus like he's some genie in a bottle. Give us another sign. Show us how powerful you are. And he wasn't playing ball. He wasn't willing to be their performer. On my first day, upon arriving in Brisbane, I did first things first. I headed to the cricket, to the gabba. So off I went. There I was inside the ground. And the only live cricket I'd experienced before then, in terms of Australian national cricket, was a packed MCG on Boxing Day. Let me tell you, this experience fell a wee bit short. And all the Victorians get it, understand what I'm saying. But anyway, I'm a Queenslander now, I need to get on board, hey. Imagine after arriving at the ground, I'm inside the venue. The action's about to start. And I get the attention of an attendant walking past and I say, excuse me, excuse me. I'm trying to find the Gabba where the cricket's being played today. Can you point me in the direction? Can you give me a sign? Can you help me with the direction? And he'll be like, huh? You're already here. You're at the game. Sit down and enjoy it. Get involved. Get engaged. See, the whole point of a sign is to point us towards the real. And these guys here in John 6 grew an appetite, an unhealthy appetite for signs. And in doing so, missed relationship with Jesus. That, that, that has Jesus really frustrated. There's more. They go on then to talk about service. Jesus, we want to serve alongside you. They, they volunteer, they give Jesus their best Colgate smile and they say, hey, we're willing to help. We want to perform the same works that you're doing. We want to impress God with our service. How do we go about that? How do we get into this power? How do we get access that you have? How do we make your name famous? We can spread the load here. You'll be able to take a day off, Jesus. We'll be able to be your key assistance. First glance, you might anticipate Jesus would be impressed by their zeal, but uh-uh. He sees their motivation and their motivation stinks. See, with God in a kingdom economy, why we do what we do matters more than what we do. God is different to us. If you hire a gardener to work around your home, mow the lawns, trim the roses, whatever it might be, you, dare I say, don't really care what he's thinking about while he's doing the job. You just want him to perform. You just want him to get the job done. Now, he could be thinking about what he's going to spend the money that you pay him on, but it really doesn't matter to you. He might be thinking even darker thoughts than that. But I suggest you really don't care as long as when he leaves, he's performed the duties that you employed him for. God's work, though, is not like that. Motives always matter. You might be right to wonder, can I ever serve God with 100% pure motives? Squeaky clean, through and through. Could I ever be sure of that? I don't know. I'm not sure. The scripture says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? So there's times where I don't even fully know my own intentions, whether they're squeaky clean or not. And that's scary. 
But we are not powerless to make a positive change here in this space though. And the starting point is to take notes of the, note of the words of Jesus here in John 6.29. The only performance God wants from us is this. Let's listen. It's important. Believe in the one he has sent. What does that even mean in terms of works? It means that anything I ever do for God starts from a belief perspective rather than a behavioural perspective. It starts with me fully grasping that without God, I'm actually nothing. I can't offer anything worthy in his service. My work for God must be so saturated by my dependence upon him, by, so fueled by my gaze upon him that I could never take credit for it. I'm just mirroring, mirroring what I see him doing. It, it's truly like he's doing it through me. Here's the necessary distinction. I never ever work for God's approval. I never, never must work for God's approval. I work from God's approval. When Jesus mouthed the words of first Easter, it is finished. Everything shifted. Everything shifted in terms of how we humans relate to a holy God. We always and forever now come via Jesus, by faith, by trust in him. And the start for any of us to ever be impressive to God in any way, shape or form remains forever entrenched in this belief. Faith in the finished work of Jesus. And if I start a conversation with Jesus then from the perspective of these guys here in John 6 that we see like you and I, Jesus, I think we have something going on. We're, we're pretty tight. We, we have something a little special. I'm pretty sure I'm like... First pick on your team. I'm pretty sure that you can't afford not to have me. I mean, my gifts, my talents, what I bring to the table, it's pretty darn special. I don't think you could do without me. <laughs> Jesus is like, nah, actually, I can't trust you with anything. You're so full of you. that You can't be of use to anybody else. You can't be of use in my kingdom. This is exactly what's happening in John 6. Jesus is unimpressed. He saw straight to the heart and saw that they weren't ready to serve. He wasn't looking for their service. We read on. He wasn't looking to be related to through a system either. They try and systematize Jesus. We see it in verse 34. Hey, you know that sign, Jesus, you did yesterday? We're looking for that again today. And then the next day after that, and the next day after that, and the next day after that. We want to systematize this sign thing. I mean, that, that sign you did was tremendous, but can we turn that into a daily routine, into a system, into a production line? We want to guarantee outcomes. We want to know that you're going to feed us, not just yesterday, but today and, and in an ongoing way. Is that okay? And they had a rationale. I mean, this is how we've heard it's been done before. Moses did it for his faithful crew. I mean, we've read back, we've heard stories of the Old Testament, how Moses guaranteed food, their bread came from heaven every morning. They didn't have to worry about anything. Can you whip up a similar deal for us, Jesus? 
Can you do your thing? Can you like pull a few strings and make that happen? Is that okay? We'd like assurance. We'd like a warranty. We'd like to know that our tomorrow is sorted. We'd like that magic trick you did yesterday, that five rolls into 5,000 men thing. We, we, we'd like to systematize that. We'd like to see it over and over and over again on repeat. They get really bold in verse 34 with this request. Not even a please. Just give us that bread every day. Give us that bread every day. It would suit us. It would suit us if we just knew our food was taken care of and we never had to work again. They wanted to make a system out of a one-off sign. By now you should be able to spot a problem. I can. Jesus gets upset in the same way you do. When people only approach you for what they can get out of it. Let's review how we tick Jesus off, if that's what we're interested in doing. Trying to relate to him through signs, through service, and now a system. Jesus' frustration levels are 10 out of 10. But don't shut off now, it's going to get hotter. Because I think Jesus is most upset, not because they're asking too much. I actually think it's just the opposite. I think they're aiming too low. I think Jesus is saying here, let me be everything or let me be nothing. He's ticked off because they're talking about their morning toast and he's like, I am the bread of life, of life. Let me be the absolute core of your existence. If you really took me in, you would understand that what I'm offering isn't about your next meal. It's about a level of fulfillment and satisfaction that lasts forever. Verse 35, you'd never, ever hunger again. If you grasped who I truly am, you'd understand that this stuff we're talking about in the grand scheme of things really, really is insignificant. You're asking for a sign but you're in the arena with me right in front of you. Why not engage? Engaging with Jesus is always relational, not transactional. And that's why he's so upset here. He's communicating with them back then and to us today. The best way to approach Jesus is actually on our knees, in surrender, in awe of who he is, as creator, as sustainer, as promise keeper, as the living God, as the bread of life. So how do we come to Jesus? We relate to him as our saviour. What's that mean? It's got so little to do with food and so much to do with meaning and purpose and contentment and satisfaction. And John 6, it just so happens that bread was the subject that they were talking about. So Jesus grabs hold of that analogy and talks about bread, but it's really not about bread. It's about if you take me in, if you allow me to fill your life, I'll solve that eternal ache you have for meaning. This does equate to a Christ follower being unable to join Bono in the chorus of I still haven't found what I'm looking for because they have. They've found it. A person who finds the living Christ has found the joy 
of life. Nor can we sing along with the stones saying, I can't get no satisfaction because the follower of Jesus has found true contentment, true joy, true satisfaction. When we come to Jesus with humility for salvation, he's not at all, he's not at all hard to get along with. He's delighted to engage with us. The Bible says it's a broken and contrite heart. These, O Lord, you will never despise. I love this statement from John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Jesus is saying to us today, let me be everything or let me be nothing. That's a pretty big call to make, John. Are you saying that I have to make him my whole world? I have to put all my eggs in this one basket? I have to make him my supreme love? I have to adopt this, this, this model of life that's Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Yes, precisely what we're saying. But it's not what I'm saying. It's what he said. He said that. I am the bread of life. I am the one you need to draw your very identity from. And if you do, you'll understand my words where I say, a man will not live on bread alone, but the very words that come from the mouth of God. You'll also be able to stand in agreement with the psalmist hundreds of years prior who said, how sweet your words taste to me. They're sweeter than honey. They fill my entire being and I don't need to hunger any more. As we draw this message to a conclusion, let me name the tension. Some of us aren't feeling it. We comprehend the should. We should be excited about our Bible. We should be excited about engaging God's words. And there's been times where that's the case. We've opened it up and it's been like this. Our heart becomes strangely warmed. It's so fresh like that, that, that freshly baked bread coming out of the oven. So exciting, so appealing, so attractive. And there's other times it's felt like day old bread, pretty stale. If that's you today, at best, your desire is mediocre and you say, John, if I'm honest, I know the stock market better than I do the scripture. If I'm honest, I know more about my football team and the numbers the players wear on their backs and any Bible references. If you're pressing me for honesty, then honestly, social media is more appealing to me right now than a deep dive into Scripture. Oh, look, I'm not here to condemn. I am here to challenge. Are you ready for it? Ready or not, here it comes. You have more control over your appetite than what you've given credit for. Our appetite often simply is a reflection of what we're previously fed on. We have a Mars bar at 3 p.m. every single day for 21 days. Guess what you'll be craving tomorrow at 3 p.m.? A Mars bar. It's no surprise. You've created an appetite for it. So how do we change that? We change by today feeding on the right things. And today's food often fuels tomorrow's appetite. So can I plead with you? 
feed on the bread of life. Be satisfied in him. And in doing so, you'll discover the presence of Christ. He'll come to you. We're going to close just now with a song as we head into a time of communion. And as you sit back and hear this song, don't just listen. Engage. Take in the words. Take in the bread of life. Feed on him. And let the living Christ come and bring a fulfillment that will enable you to say, I'll never be hungry again. He satisfied me. He completes me.